Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the first episode of Football Unscripted here on the brand new Pit Talk Network. I am your host, Corey Cohen, and I'm thrilled to have on this first ever episode of Football Unscripted, uh, my former co-host from back in the day on Cardiac Hill, Jim Hammett, now with Panther Lair. Jim, thank you so much for coming on. I'm thrilled to have you as the first ever guest here on Football Unscripted. Yeah, it's quite an honor. Thanks, Corey. Um, and, you know, as always, it's kind of the off season with Pitt Sports, but there's just always something to talk about. Yeah, so it's it's where I, I said in the in the last when I launched the network and the, the brief introductory episode that, yeah, things aren't going to be as regular now as they will be in the fall and winter where it's going to be every single week necessarily. But as you just said, there's always something happening. So on this episode of Football Unscripted, we are going to talk about the spring game. Uh, something that just happened this past weekend. Jim, I know you were there. Uh, I was not able to be there. But the spring game comes around, and every year we read into it. Sometimes things matter more. Sometimes uh, they don't matter as much as we think. Uh, what, what do you think about how important the spring game is in general? In general, I don't think it's always all that big of a deal because I go back to last year's spring game and if you recall Daniel Carter was kind of the star of the show I think he had 10 carries in the game and he went into the season and had 16 and 13 games so you know sometimes what you see in April is you know it doesn't really translate to what you see in August and September so you, you always have to take the spring game with a little bit of a grain of salt but at the same time it's always an opportunity for some young players to emerge and I think we saw a little bit of that on Saturday so it's always a, a showcase. You want to see, okay, who's the new quarterback? You want to see the new recruits? You want to see now in this day and age, you want to see the new transfers. So that's kind of what you're looking to see. And But as for the game itself, I mean, I think the big story this year was they changed the format a little bit to try to make it a little more exciting. I, I don't know if they actually accomplished that, maybe a little bit. But, um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of spring football in a nutshell. Yeah, and I want to talk about that, that format change. So <clears throat> normally – they have a draft and they split everyone up into two teams, a blue and a gold. And so you'll essentially have both the offense and the defense split in half. So it, it doesn't tell you a ton because you end up having a situation where your, your offensive line is split up or, you know, the, the running backs aren't, you know, it, it can be, uh, it could be divided in this scenario this year for the first time, they decided to do away with that and just have essentially offense versus defense. One was blue, one was gold. What did you think of that format change? I know you said that that it was intended to be uh, for entertainment, but do you think it also succeeded in terms of having the, the teams be a little bit more cohesive? Yeah, I think so. And I think it, it, it helped the offense more because I think whenever you did the draft, I think what always happened was uh, you always hear about how the offensive line likes to work as a unit. There, there needs to be cohesion. So whenever you have the starting left tackle, the the third string left guard, and the backup center on the same starting line in the spring game, it predictably becomes a mess. And that's what yeah. happened in the past couple of years. And especially with Pitt, where they're they're so deep on the defensive line that, you know, the second, third team defensive line, they can really cause havoc on just about, you know, the starting offensive line. So whenever you had that jumbled offensive line, that really just made things messy. And, and it, was just, it was just hard to watch. So I think keeping the offensive line, uh, on Saturday definitely helped with cohesion. It made the offense look a little bit better. And I, I think things went a little bit smoother for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a reason, right, in in practices that you don't split up the the offense and split up the defense. I mean, you have your offense, you have your defense, as you said, especially at the at the line of scrimmage, the offensive line. You you need to know the the people next to you, and so it, it always did seem a little bit weird that that got jumbled up. There seemed to be a solid. Uh, solid change in format, especially at, at some of those positions where they're not just plug and play. Yeah, definitely. And I, it, it, again, you, 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 there was still a little mix up because you had the first team offense against the second team defense and, you know, the other way around on that side of the ball. So it, it, it definitely, it, it wasn't like the most exciting. I'm sure everyone would have liked maybe a series of two of the first team against the first team, but Pat Narduzzi said he saw enough of that in the spring. And I think another big thing in spring football is, just getting out of it healthy. Uh, you know, he talked about some prior spring practices where Brian O'Neill got hurt or Deslin Alexander got hurt. And those are big injuries. And it, the, the vibe on Saturday in the postgame press conferences, they, they didn't have that big injury. I mean, there's a few guys sitting out, but I, I don't think it's anything significant that'll, you know, harm them come August. Like Gavin Bartholomew and Kanante Mugfield didn't play, but I don't think they're overly concerned with their injuries. So as long as you come out of spring football healthy and you know who your quarterback is. I think those are kind of the two goals you want to have. Well, that's actually a great segue. So let's talk about quarterbacks because that that's a position that obviously it's the most important position in sports. And I might say, and people could correct me, I might say that this could be, could, it's early, could be the deepest that the pit quarterback room has been in quite a while. Uh, so, so let's, let's break down, let's say the, the four quarterbacks, I believe there were five that got action in that game, but, but we're going to talk about four starting uh, with Phil Jerkovic, who by all accounts is slated to be the starting quarterback for pit football come this fall. What did you see out of him? I mean, he didn't have too much to do. They, what didn't work him super hard, but what did you see out of him there in the spring overall? What's your vibe on, on him as the starting quarterback, the transfer from BC? I think they're pretty excited about uh, Phil. And, and and like you said, it wasn't like a big workload for him in the spring game. He only attempted seven passes. The one the one drive that did stick with me is he did go three for three on one drive for 40 yards. And he had two nice completions to Bob Means. And uh, I, I think one of the biggest things with this offense this year is you're trying to find new playmakers. So you, you want to see your quarterback and perhaps your top receiver, uh, you know, have a little bit of connection and I, I think we saw chemistry bit, yeah <laughs> chemistry that's that's what we're going for um so I, I think you know you saw that so I think that was a good sign out of Phil and, and just the general vibe around you know talking to Signetti DiBiasio like just all the coaches around the program it's like I think they feel confident and that he knows how to run the offense so you know obviously everyone knows the backstory of he played under Signetti a couple years ago at Boston College and his best college season was under Signetti so the, the thought is the two come together and you know, they get things fixed next year. So I think everything that happened so far this spring is it's on track to happen. And, you know, it's just a matter of, can we see if it happens? Yeah. And now it's obviously every year they're going to talk about their starting quarterback, their QB one as, yeah, we're really excited about him. We saw it last year with Keaton Slovis. They were really excited about him. They were looking forward to it. And then he didn't pan out that well. And there are a bunch of factors into that. Now, Dracovic has a few things going for him. He's obviously more comfortable. He's from Pittsburgh. He's more comfortable with the school, with the area. As you said, Signetti was his offensive coordinator at BC, where he had a phenomenal year. Uh, as you said, his best year. So what is, uh, 
what's your your sort of BS detector like in terms of sometimes they say, yeah, we're really con- not that they're lying. I'm sure they're always confident. But but is your read that, yeah, this isn't just they're saying they're confident or they think they're confident, but they're not sure. Do you think that this year with this guy, with a new quarterback coming in, that they that this is different than, say, Keaton Slovis or Max Brown when it comes to a transfer QB coming in? Yeah, I just, I, and again, I think it's all about just being comfortable with the offense. And I, it's not like I thought Keaton Slovis was a bad quarterback. It just sometimes it takes a couple years when you get a new offense coordinator. Even Kenny Pickett's first year under Mark Whipple wasn't really anything pretty. So I think even it doesn't matter how good of a quarterback you are. Is if you're not comfortable with your coach and you know you're just trying to learn an offense on the fly, it's gonna it's gonna look a little shaky at times and. I think with Jerkovic, I think there is that comfort level there. So I, th- I think they do feel more confident just on, uh, you know, all the players around him know the offense and he knows the offense. So it's not like ever, like last year, everyone was brand new to the offense and it's not that this year. So I, I do think there's a belief that it will get, get a little bit better. Yeah. Having that continuity is definitely likely going to be helpful. And even though Jerkovic isn't continuity necessarily there's a lot more than than a guy coming in from from usc like we've seen in the past okay second string uh quarterback likely christian vayer uh who's got a name that's pronounced not exactly how it's spelled uh he had the only touchdown pass of the day he's a transfer from penn state got quite a few years of eligibility still uh so he he's not going to be the starting quarterback but what did you see out of him in that spring game and what do you think he's going to be able to provide both as a backup this year and really potentially quarterback of, of the future in the next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're really high on Christian Bayer and uh, you know, the thing with him and his touchdown drive is he was going against the first team defense. So, I mean, they didn't ask him to throw any deep passes, a lot of quick passes and screen passes. I think the touchdown itself was a screen to Derek Davis who made a nice run after the catch. So they didn't load him up on anything crazy, but I thought he looked sharp. I thought he looked efficient and, that was kind of the book out of him at Penn State. And really, I, I think even Penn State was, you know, okay with moving forward with him as a starting quarterback eventually until they got Drew Alar, who's, you know, really going to be a great quarterback prospect for them. So I think that's why Christian kind of looked for a different spot. And, you know, Pitt recruited him a little bit out of high school. Obviously, it wasn't Signetti, but, like, he had some familiarity with Narduzzi. And I, I just think it's a good fit for him. So. You know, in a world if uh, Phil Dracovic can't play and Christian Vieira has to be the starter for a game or more, I think they're pretty comfortable with them. And uh, and like you said, to, you know, as we started this segment, is it it, it is a, it does feel like a deeper quarterback room. I mean, he does have one career start. Uh, so does Nate Yarnell. Phil Dracovic has started, you know, a bunch of games in his career. So there's guys that have played at this level and at least started games. And, you know, last year that, you know, outside of Slovis, he didn't really have that. Right, exactly. I mean, there was Nick Patty, but but everyone sort of knew that, yeah, he's a guy with a ton of heart and all that, but he's not someone who you would be fully comfortable if, if they were thrust into the starting quarterback role for the course of an entire season. Whereas for Phil Dracovic, as you said, he's done that already. And, and Christian Bayer, he's already been in the position where he's able to start and seems like, like he's a really solid transfer. I mean, even when they got him, that was – everyone was saying – with when they got Phil Dracovic, I think a lot of people who view this program were saying, okay, really good transfer. They got someone with connections. He's been a good, you know, quarterback in the past. He's got experience, but he is a little bit injury prone. You never know with a transfer quarterback. Let's see, let's see if they can get a, a second option. 
in case something happens to Dracovic, let's see if they can get someone to sit behind him who you feel like you can trust a good bit. And, and Veyer seems like that guy. I mean, when they got him, it was, yeah, this seems perfect. He's a guy who's had some experience. He's still young and there's plenty of room to grow and, and just a ton of raw talent there. And I think that's exactly what you want to have out of, uh, out of a second string QB. Yeah. And just like it, just the general situation of pick quarterbacks is they, they only had one coming back, you know, off of last year's team. So they had to get the transfer and they, they really had to get two transfers. So it made sense. And I, I really think, you know, Vier is probably the heir apparent. And if something happens, he's, they're more than comfortable starting, uh, starting him this season. So yeah, it was just, they had to rebuild the quarterback room and it, it, it took more than just a starter and a recruit. They, they needed to get some depth. And I think that's where he really comes into it. Yeah, absolutely. And then talking about depth, Nate Yarnell, he's that one quarterback that did decide to come back. Uh, he did play a little bit last year, had the one start um, at uh, at Western Michigan. He wasn't forced to do too much in the spring game, but wh- what do you think about him maybe fighting for that second string role, trying to get some action, his strengths, his weaknesses? What what do you like from him coming back? Yeah, just to go back to his start last year against Western Michigan, as I think you know, we all remember from that game, is they didn't ask him to do a whole lot. I mean, it was you know, is almost infuriatingly lot. so. I mean, it, it worked out well, but there were some times where it, it was very obvious that they did not ask him to do much. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of one read throws. It was a lot of handing the ball off. But he, I think, his stat line from that game was pretty good. He threw a touchdown, had a couple long passes to Jared Wayne, so. He showed off some arm talent, and the thing that struck me with him on Saturday, it's not that he played well or poor. He was 7 of 10 for 33 yards, so again, it wasn't like they were asking him to take chances, but after the game, Pat Narduzzi, when, when asked about the quarterback room, is he talked about uh, Yarnell's leadership, so I, I, that kind of struck me a little bit is that, you know, if you look at it from his perspective, they brought in two transfers, you know, his age or older, and, and, you know, he has to be thinking like, oh, come on, like, you know, I'm, I'm the one guy left. And but he, I think he's kind of taking this role in stride and and he's not laying down at all. I mean, I think he really is pushing for that backup job with uh, the air. So I mean, it's good for him and it's good for Pitt to have, you know, competition. I think competition brings out the best in, any, in everyone. So, yeah, and I, I do think that that's a big part of them having depth is that in the past few years, they're really hasn't been competition, even when maybe there should be. And in this case, yeah, you've got Dracovic as the number one and Veyer is, is slotted as the number two, but nothing is 100% set in stone. If, if Yarnell plays really well, he's good in practice, all that, he could move into the number two slot. There, there definitely does seem to be some flexibility there. It's interesting you mentioned about that leadership in that, obviously, that's a big part of being a quarterback, but it's more than leading your teammates in other positions on the field. It's also being a leader in that quarterback room. And as you said, he's there, there's now a pretty big quarterback room. We're talking about these top four guys. He's the only one that was on the team last year. And so he, as you said, he could have left transferred out and say, Hey, you guys are going, you're getting two quarterbacks that you're going to slot above me. I'm leaving. He, he could have spoken out or lashed out or whatever. Instead, as you said, they, they like him as a leader in that quarterback room even if he stays the third string quarterback, having some level of continuity and, and, and that level of leadership from a guy who is still very young, that's got to be impressive. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, we talk about Dracovic kind of knowing the offense. I think it helps a lot that Yarnell knows the offense. I mean, it's, it's all about the continuity. And so, you know, in this, 
now as we go into the summer, wherever the, the team is not necessarily with the coaches and they're organizing stuff on their own. I mean, a guy like Yarnell thrown to the receivers, they know the route tree, they know the play calls, they know the scheme. So, I mean, I think he can help organize things. And I, I, I think it's just going to make for a more smooth offseason having him around. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And then uh, quarterback four, uh, a true freshman, Ty Diefenbach um, from out west, didn't have the best spring game through a through a pick six, uh, but he he is a guy who they seem to to like. Again, this is a long term play. Uh, not expecting him to to get any playing time this year. In fact, there's a good chance because there are three guys in front of him that he would redshirt this year. Uh, what do you what have you seen out of him? Anything in the spring game did that worry you? And and just what do you think about him overall in terms of a, a long term prognosis? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing with Ty, it's just all about upside with him because you have three quarterbacks ahead of him with experience. So if he's playing this year, then that means a lot of guys got injured in the season. Something's gone horribly wrong. <laughs> Something's not right. But uh, yeah, I, I think they're they're excited about his upside. And the thing with him is um, he he came on the radar late because they had Kenny Minchie, the four-star quarterback commitment all year, who decided to go to Notre Dame just before signing day. So they were kind of, you know, stuck in a little bit and they were kind of, searching the country, looking for a quarterback. Uh, Ty Diefenbach was committed to UNLV, I believe, uh, from Calabasas, California. And, uh, you know, they, I think Frank Signetti went and saw him through, and that, that was kind of enough. He came and visited and committed on the spot. So they obviously like him enough. I mean, he wasn't a highly rated guy. He's it's definitely a bit of a project. But, I mean, when you have a guy that's six foot six, uh, you know, he has long arms. And, you know, you, you, you just see all the quarterbacks – in the NFL these days, it's, you know, you look at Josh Allen, he, he kind of has that same profile. He's a nobody recruit from California and all of a sudden he blew up. So in, in a sense, you know, Ty Diefenbach is kind of like lottery ticket. You don't know what you're going to get, but right. you bring him into the program and you, you have this six foot six guy with some athleticism and you, you see what you have and maybe you get lucky. Right. As you said, I think a lottery, t- I, I was actually just going to say that. Yeah. It's a, it's a lottery ticket, especially when, as you said, they were sort of scrambling. They, Yes, they had these three quarterbacks in Jerkovic, Avere, and Yarnell, but they did want a true freshman coming in, especially once they lost Kenny Minchie. So they wanted to go out, land someone, and yeah, as you said, he's a project. Uh, not the, the best play on that, that pick six in the spring game, but at the end of the day, it's still a spring game. It's early. It's uh, It doesn't seem to be anything to, to be too worried about, especially when he's not even, as we said, if he plays this year, something's gone horribly wrong. So I, I don't think that one bad throw in a spring game, one bad play in a spring game is really going to fa- affect him. No, I mean, it's like, it's it, again, and you know, we saw the spring game, they saw the 15, the 14 practices leading up to the spring game. And right. sometimes those matter more. I mean, this is just a glorified scrimmage with fans, fans in the stands. That's really all the spring game is. So I, I don't take too much of him throwing an interception there. I mean, it, it, it just, it was one bad throw. It is what it is. Yeah, it's a it's just a good excuse to to get fans coming out to uh, to Heinz. Oh, as a side note, I know they can't do it, but that one year at Highmark Stadium, that was the best. I, I will die on that hill when they had the spring game at Highmark Stadium. I think it's because they were doing renovations on Heinz Field, Acrisure Stadium. Uh, that that one year at Highmark, it, that was incredible. Not many people could be there. Uh, but the atmosphere was great. I'm just, uh, I wish they could have it at a different location. I know it's a rule that they can't. I wish they could, and I wish they had it there. Because for something like a spring game, I love that atmosphere. Well, they, they, they could have it anywhere they want. It's just a matter of you can't host recruits 
off. That's campus. what it is. Yeah, that's what it is. So that you know, they they it this spring Pitt did a really good job of bringing in recruits. Maybe not necessarily Saturday, but throughout the spring practices, they had a lot of guys visiting. Maybe more so than usual. And uh, you know, just as someone that kind of covers recruiting and kind of sees it. It, it was impressive. It, it's more than I'm used to seeing Pitt do in a spring. And, and it, it kind of speaks to the recruiting class right now where they have 10 commitments and normally they would only have one or two. So I, I do think just the overall general vibe of the program is better, maybe outside, you know, the Pittsburgh market, these recruits are seeing it a little bit more. So, yeah, I think, you know, the spring football, it, everything that took place on the field is great, but I think one of the biggest stories of this spring has kind of been on, you know, a recruiting standpoint. Yeah, and that's something as as this sort of offseason goes on, we're going to be talking about on, on this podcast and keeping an eye on it. I know you are at Panther Lair. But the fact that, as you said, normally recruiting is done heavily in June. Most of the – they don't get many recruits before June. This year, as you said, they've got 10 already, uh, and uh, they had that in what, March, essentially. So it's it's been really impressive. Um, looking at the, the running back room, they obviously lose Israel Abanacanda. But they've got some some guys coming back and a transfer. One player that, that did really well in the spring game was Rodney Hammond. He's coming back. He had the kickoff return. Uh, it, it seems like he's going to be the number one choice. Do you think he's going to be able to be as, uh, maybe not as agile as, as Izzy was, but do you think he's going to be agile enough to be the, the first string running back for this squad? Yeah, I, I don't think they're – I mean, they're, they're, there's going to be a drop-off because they're not the same player, but uh, but in some ways, Ronnie Hammond's better at Izzy Abanacan at certain things. I mean, you, you look at last year, he, he was the leading rusher against West Virginia in the backyard brawl, but West Virginia really bottled up Izzy, and, you know, Hammond made a lot of big plays. Then you go – you look later in the year, Izzy was out for the Syracuse game. He rushed for 100 yards. Izzy opted out of the – uh, the Sun Bowl and, and, you know, Rodney Hammond scored two touchdowns and led the team in rushing. So he, he's he been the starting running back three or four times this past season. And, you know, even back in 2021 as a true freshman, he led them in rushing in multiple games. So I, I think he's very comfortable running the ball. I think they're very comfortable running the offense through him. Um, I, I Again, they're different players. He's not going to break off the 70 yard runs Vanacanda did. But he'll get the, the five or six yards in front of him and kind of keep things moving. So I, I, I think from that standpoint, I think Pitt's in pretty good hands at the running back spot. Yeah, and, and like you said, West Virginia, he was great. If he if he hadn't gotten hurt, there's a good chance that that season goes differently for, you know, Abanacanda doesn't put up the same stats that he does because he's splitting way more carries with Rodney Hammond. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's a, a great running back. I think he's going to be excellent uh, as the first string. It was just interesting to see you don't think of him as someone who might return a kickoff uh, and, and go all the way. So it was interesting to see him, you know, more in, in that open field uh, scenario. Daniel Carter, you talk about a big bruiser. Daniel Carter, he's he's an old school kind of running back. He had a touchdown run. Uh, what do you think the, the situation is going to be with him? Obviously, with offensive change, offense and offenses changing, not using that kind of running back as much anymore, although that is the kind of running back that Pat Narduzzi does still love that that type. Uh, what do you think they're going to – how do you think they're going to be able to use Daniel Carter? Yeah, that's kind of the same question we had out of spring last year, and what we saw is he, he he's kind of a fullback in the system, and I, I, I'm guessing that's probably going to be the case again this year because you're looking at Hammond probably being the the main guy, and, and you have Seba Flenister who can spell him, so – I mean, I think Carter can get some short yardage carries. I think 
the thing with Frank Signetti Jr.'s offense is it goes multiple. You could have two tight ends. You have a tight end and a fullback. You could have three wide, four wide. So there's a lot of different ways. So I think he'll get on the field. It, it just as a matter of touches, I, I'm, I'm really not sure how how many Daniel Carter will get. So uh, the, the story on him might be is he just might just be a spring game legend. <laughs> yeah, that that uh, it, that could definitely be it. And I'll tell you, when he does get the ball, it's it's first and goal from the one, and he gets the ball. You're you're feeling pretty good about it. So it's definitely a great uh, tool to have in your toolkit is having someone like that on the team. You mentioned Sebo Flemister. Uh, would you say that he's slotted to be the number two? Because then there's another player and a transfer, Derek Davis from LSU, who, as you mentioned, caught that that touchdown and then and then you know caught the pass and ran it in for a touchdown. What do you think is is the situation between those two? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at, towards the end of the year, you saw Flemister come on a little bit more. He was a little shaky when he first got the pit. I think he had a fumble like on his very first carry and kind of was in the doghouse. But he, he grew over time, and I think they're comfortable putting him in there. And and the thing with Davis is he, he is kind of a wild card because he just played two seasons as a defensive back for LSU. So he not only is he transferring schools, he's transferring positions. So it's, it's, you know, he obviously was a great high school running back here in the Pittsburgh area. And, you know, he, he did show off some nice things on Saturday. So he's interesting. And he's one of the more physically well put together players on the team. I mean, he, he's a freak athlete. And, you know, when you stand next to him, I mean, he, he looks like an NFL player. So it's just a matter of him adapting to the position. So, I mean, I, I think you go into the season, Hammond's your one. And I think you can kind of look at, okay, maybe Derek Davis can push Flemister for the number two job. But either way, I think the way that position, how demanding it is, you're going to need all three and maybe even a fourth. Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting. Again, a lot of depth at that running back position. Finally, not position specific, but on the defensive end, uh, we saw the pick six from P.J. O'Brien I mentioned earlier. Uh, saw a couple plays uh, from, from some other players, uh, Sean Fitzsimmons. Uh, seemed to play well, a couple other guys. Who were some of the the people that you thought stood out of the spring game that you think will really take a big step up come this fall? Yeah, and I, uh, you know, I'll start on the defensive line because that that's a position everyone's watching. And, you know, the way Pitt's spring game has been set up, like we talked about how they split the offensive line, it's like the defensive line just always overwhelmed them. Well, they still did it. I mean, they did it against the first team offensive line, the second team offensive line. I was really impressed with Sean Fitzsimmons. He's a redshirt freshman, and he's kind of that, again, the small, quick defensive tackle, uh, you know, that has followed in the the footsteps of Twyman and Cansey. So I don't know if he's going to be as good as those guys, but you can see, like, okay, he might be. I mean, he's he's that good. And, uh, you know, Nakai Johnson had a really good spring. Samuel Okanola is another redshirt freshman with a lot of talent. So I, it, I was just really struck by the defensive line play because if you look at it, Cansey's gone, Baldonado's gone, Alexander's gone, John Morgan's gone. It's a brand new everything. And yeah, a lot of new names this year. There's just not it, – it didn't seem like a giant drop-off. I mean, they're new names, but it's the same production. It's the same result. And so it's impressive that they're able to continue to restock that position year after year. Yeah, and uh, you've, you've got to give it up to to uh, Narduzzi, uh, to, to Bates, uh, the, the, the D-line code. I mean, th- this is really impressive how they're able – they've gotten, it seems, to a position like a lot of these top programs where – yeah, you lose a bunch of guys. I mean, you look at not at the same level, but Alabama, Georgia, those programs, they lose a ton of guys on defense every year. They just restock them, and and it's like you don't miss a beat. And it seems like 
the, especially on that defensive line, that one position, that one unit, it's just next man up all the time, every year. Yeah. And, and just even looking at it now, I mean, there's still, you know, they lost so many starters, but there's still David Green, Devin Danielson, Tyler Bentley. I mean, Dayon Hayes, I mean, guys that have been playing on this defensive line the past two or three seasons. So, Again, it's it's a lot of new faces on that defense, but in a way it's not because they, they rotate so much, not even just on the defensive line, but all around. So you have a lot of experience on that defense. So while they, they lost some star power on that side of the ball, um, I, it, just the, the solid core of what they have is still going to make for a pretty good defense, I think. Any other standouts you think from from spring that we should keep an eye on as we enter the fall? Yeah, I mean, I think you brought up P.J. O'Brien, and I, I really think that safety position is one to watch because, you know, you went from DeMar Hamlin, Paris Ford, that pairing, then you go to, you know, Eric Hallett, Brandon Hill, and there wasn't a drop-off at all. So now we're going to see if they can do it another time. And so it's looking like P.J. O'Brien's going to be one of them. Uh, Javon McIntyre from Philadelphia is probably going to be another option there. Stephon Hall. I mean, so they have some young safety. So I think going into fall camp, I thought they played well in the spring, but I'm really interested to see, uh, you know, how it all works because, you know, those first couple seasons, Pat Narduzzi was here, they struggled and it really didn't start turning around until DeMar Hamlin got, you know, playing and comfortable. And so I, I think really the key to this whole defense is kind of that field safety, that free safety position. So I'm very interested to see, you know, how these, this next pairing of safety does in the, in, you know, heading into next year. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting to see. Javon McIntyre, especially for me, I actually called a game of his at, at Imhotep uh, in, in Philadelphia. So that'll be really cool. Uh, any any other final thoughts when it comes to the spring game, spring practices, all that stuff before this team now goes into uh, a bit of a slumber for a couple months? No, I mean, I, I think just kind of – I was talking about the other day on Panther Lair and just one of, one of the things I was writing, it's – it's, it's weird that they're losing their leading passer, rusher, receiver, all these great players on defense. And everyone still kind of feels like, you know what, they're not, they, they, they might be okay. They, they still might be good. And I think that's a sign of, you know, what Pat Narduzzi has done lately. And it's, you look at the recruiting rankings, Pitt doesn't always have a top 10 class, but they have all these guys that do so well. So they're really good at identifying talent, developing talent. And so it's just interesting that we're at a, you know, a different off season with so much change and but at the same time you you feel almost like confident that they can win eight nine ten games again yeah that is interesting that uh, yeah hope springs eternal in spring games spring practice all that stuff and yet maybe it's just the, the last few years the fact they've sort of proved it especially on the defensive end that yeah people weren't expecting Kalijah Kansi to step up and you know and and fill the shoes and and a lot of these players, it really is just next man up. You thought there wouldn't be anyone uh, like uh, like Demar Hamlin or Paris Ford, and, and all these these players who come in and are able to just step in and and fill the shoes of some of these big names and do just as well, if not even better, in some cases. So it, it is really impressive at a lot of positions, but especially on the defensive side ton of guys going in the draft this year going to the NFL and yet as you said seems to be uh seems to be a lot of uh optimism 
out of uh, out of pit football. So that'll do it for this first episode of Football Unscripted. Um, I want to thank my guest, Jim Hammett. Again, Jim Hammett, you can find all his stuff at Panther Lair. Um, we're actually going to bring Jim back for a new episode, the first episode of Basketball Unscripted, talking about pit basketball recruits, um, as well as uh, pit women's basketball and the new hire that they made. So uh, for this first ever episode of Football Unscripted, uh, for Jim Hammett, thank you so much. I'm Corey Cohen, signing off for now from Football Unscripted on the Pit Talk Network.